So let's get started with a message. 31 days of breakthrough. Like Amy was speaking about earlier, thanks Amy, great job there with the, with the announcements. It was all very clear, hey? That we're praying three times a day for 31 days for breakthrough for our brothers and our sisters, for those in the church, in the wider church. And we're over halfway now. Today's the 23rd. We've got eight days to go. Eight days left. Woohoo! And then we're going to 10 days of fasting. <laughs> yes. But that's okay. It's all good. I tell you what, it's all good. And so last week, we started looking at the account of Gideon. We didn't get very far. I think I gave like a bit of a, an introduction, and that's as far as we got. We didn't even get to Gideon per se. So if you want to hear the message, it's on the app, it's on the website, it's on Spotify. So that's why we record these messages, just so that you can stay up to speed with where we are. So I'm just going to sort of try and summarize the account from Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. Okay, so bear with me. And the Bible says that the children of Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And what they had done was they had got into Baal worship and idolatry. And the Bible says that God handed them over to their enemy, to the Midianites. And so as a result, the children of Israel were living in dens and caves up on a mountaintop. And what they were trying to do was every year, they would sow seed, they would start trying to plant on these mountaintops, not in the nice lush verdant valleys, but up on a craggy mountaintop, which is difficult in its, on, in its own right. But the, but the children of Israel would sow seed, and at harvest time, every year, the Midianites would come in, and they'd bring their partners from, from across the east, and they would swoop in and t destroy all their crops, take all their oxen, take all their sheep, and even their donkeys. And so basically, they were starving the children of Israel to death. They were trying to starve them out. And um, the Midianites were numerous in number. In fact, I think the Bible says that they were more in, they were greater than a swarm of locusts. And we saw last week, I googled how big is a swarm of locusts. It's about a billion. So there were lots of them. And there was this bunch of the children of Israel trying to get by. But finally, after seven years of the suppression by the Midianites, after seven years of enduring this, the children of Israel resorted to prayer. They went and they prayed. Unlike David, remember a couple of weeks ago, David, the minute the Philistines came against him, he sought the Lord. He went to his stronghold and he sought time with the Lord. But the children of Israel in this particular instance, they waited seven years before they actually went to God and they cried out to God and God immediately responded, immediately didn't answer their prayers the way they were hoping. They were expecting God to wipe out the Midianites or send manna or do something like that. But God didn't do any of the above. He sent them a prophet, an unnamed prophet. One day I want to go talk to this guy in heaven. I want to see, are you the unnamed prophet in Judges chapter 6? But he, he caused, you know what he did? He went to the children of Israel and spoke about the love of God. He spoke about how God, he reminded them of what God had done previously, how God had provided for them. And that caused the children of Israel to repent. There was a repentance in the land. And then, that's as far as we got last week. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon while he was threshing, wine, uh, threshing wheat 
in the wine press. And the ultimate, I'm going to go to the end of the account, okay, and then we're going to back up a little bit. But ultimately, the breakthrough was that Gideon defeated this huge army of Midianites whose number were more than a swarm of locusts with 300 men. And all of them were unarmed except they had a torch and they had a torch and a trumpet. That was the other thing. They had a torch and a trumpet. That's all they were armed with. And they defeated the Midianites. So God gave him his own Baal Perazim. Remember, we spoke about Baal Perazim a couple of weeks ago, where David had fought the Philistines in two battles. And in both battles, God gave David a different strategy for two different battles. God didn't say to, to Gideon, listen, when you hear the marching through the treetops. No, God gave, gave um, Gideon a different um, strategy. And his strategy for Gideon was reduce your men from 32,000 to 300 and arm them with a trumpet and with a torch. And that's God's strategy for, for Gideon. And that's what he did, and God gave them victory. God gave Gideon and the children of Israel victory, gave them breakthrough. So we're going to look at some key moments, some key things that happened within Gideon's life, where he went from threshing wheat in a wine press to defeating this huge army. And we pick it up in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Judges chapter 6. And it says, now the angel of the Lord, we stop there, because we, we never get really far, but now the angel, not an angel, the angel. This was a pre-incarnate Jesus. This was Jesus in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now this poor guy Gideon, he's been given a lot of bad press. He's been called a coward. He's been called that he was hiding in the winepress. No, the Bible says he was hiding the wheat in the winepress. He wasn't hiding in the winepress. He was hiding the wheat in the winepress. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, obviously, a wine press is usually found in a vineyard. But the, the children of Israel didn't have a vineyard. They were living up on the mountaintop in caves and dens. But a wine press is that is that container that's usually held within a, within a, within a place, and it's where the, where the grapes are pressed, and the, the, all, the, all the juice comes out of the, of the actual grapes, and that, that juice is then channeled into a large container, and they, they make wine out of it. So a wine press, just by the name of the title, just by the title of those words, a wine press is a place of pressing. It's that place of pressing. When, Dan, uh, when Gideon was there, he was threshing wheat in the wine press. 
So when, normally when you threshed wheat, you'd go up onto the top of a hill and you'd lift the wheat up. Amy's the, the agricultural expert here, but correct me if I'm wrong. But they would throw the wheat up in the air, this is what's called threshing wheat, and the wind would catch the chaff and blow the chaff away, and then the grain would be what was left, and that is called threshing wheat. And that is what Daniel, was, uh, Daniel what Gideon was doing in the wine press. He was threshing wheat in the wine press. So I think he was in that confined place. He needed an open space in order to thresh wheat, but he was in this confined, limited space. And he was hiding this wheat from the Midianites so that he could feed the children of Israel. So threshing wheat in a wine press, that place of pressing. And remember last week we, we, heard, we read from Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, that place of confinement, shall that restricted place separate us from the love of God? And Gideon was in that restricted place, that confined place, a place of distress, a place of pressing, and a place of pressure. And we, we see all throughout, if you go read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11, we read of men and women of God who by faith endured trials. They went, they went through their own place of distress. They went through their own wine press. In fact, the Bible says that some of them were tortured, some of them had scourgings, chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. Some were sawn in two. I mean, this is pretty dire. Okay, but, but stick with us. Okay, this will get better, I promise you. But these men and women endured to the end. They're going through that wine press. And I think of Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus in Gethsemane. A literal translation of the word Gethsemane would be a wine press of oils. That is what the literal translation of Gethsemane is. And Jesus went and prayed in Gethsemane on that Mount of Olives the night before his crucifixion. And that's where the pressure of the weight of the sin of humanity he knew was about to fall on him. And the Bible says that he sweated drops of blood from anxiety, from that pressure. Gethsemane is a wine press of oils. It's a place of pressing. It's a place of distress. It's a place of humiliation and tribulation. But it's also a place of surrender. Surrender to God, where Jesus lay down his life and he said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. You know what? We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. No, Jesus has been there. He's been there. So Gideon was in the wine press when the angel appeared to him. And, and the angel of the Lord said, God, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And maybe you feel that you're in a wine press at the moment. Things are not as they should be. You're threshing wheat in a wine press. 
Maybe you're in that confined place, that a difficult place. It's almost like you've been, you're in an area of uncharted territory. This thing has never happened to you before. You're in that wine press. You might even think, you might even say, how did I land up here? How did I land up in this situation? I didn't see it coming. Perhaps you're not quite where you want to be. You're not where you'd like to be. And at times it can feel like you're just treading water and there's no way out. The shore just keeps getting further away. But like God said to Gideon, God said to Gideon, God is saying to you today, I am with you. The Lord is with you. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Look at this in Isaiah 41, verse 10. God says, fear not. Don't yield to fear. Don't yield to fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't look around in terror. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That righteous right hand means a victorious right hand. Jesus always leads us into victory. He doesn't leave us just treading water for the rest of our lives. Psalm 23, a well-known psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 91, verse 15. God says, You shall call upon me, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. I love this about God. He's not just a fair-weather friend. He's not just there only on the good times. He's there in the good times and the bad. He is with you. He says, I will be with you in trouble. I am with you in that winepress, in that place of restriction, in that place of confinement, in that place of limitation. I am with you. Isaiah 43, verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, when, not if, you will pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. I love that. Doesn't it just remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace? And there was a fourth man in that fiery furnace. It was Jesus Christ himself. He is with us in that fiery furnace. So when we go through the storm, he is with us. In Mark's Gospel, there's this account where Jesus says to the disciples, let's get into the boat. We are going to the other side. When Jesus says something, it happens. He says, we're going. Not maybe, we'll see. No, he says, we're going to the other side. So they all get into the boat, and off they sail towards the other side on the sea. And suddenly a great windstorm arose, and the waves started crashing, and suddenly the boat started filling up with water. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. He was asleep on his pillow in the boat. 
And in Mark chapter 4, the, 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 the disciples say to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus didn't respond to their question. I love that. He just ignores them. But he rebuked the wind and the waves. And the Bible says the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But then he asked them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? How did he know they had no faith? By the words that they'd come out of their mouths. Don't you care that we're perishing? We are literally about to die. That's what they're saying. We are going to die. The message says, is it nothing to you that we're going down? You know what? They, these are the disciples of Jesus. They were the closest to him. You'd think they'd know him by now, you know, and yet they, they questioned him. They questioned his compassion. But the Bible says that he was always moved with compassion. So if you're in that wine press, that place of restriction, that confinement, you may be tempted to say things. But be aware, be careful of the words you speak and the impact that they have. You know, perhaps you're hurt and angry and you've said things, they, you know, words of anger, words of self-preservation, any, anything that you want to protect yourself. Just be careful of the words you speak. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words can bring forth death and can have a long-term impact on a situation or a relationship. So we need to be slow to speak. This is my mantra. I, I always speak first, think later. You know, God is on my case about it, but be slow to speak. There's a saying that says, a closed mouth gathers no feet. You can't put your foot in it if you don't open it. Okay, so zip your lip. Do things God's way. Be, be, allow God and his word and his wisdom to restrain you. you. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Before that word comes out, man, what is God saying? Shh, don't say it, Sandy. Don't say it. Don't say it. And I don't. Or I do. But then I'll eat the fruit of whatever's happened, whatever's come out. God, God's word, his, his wisdom, his Holy Spirit, his word and his wisdom restrains me. You know, in that winepress moment, we can experience feelings of loneliness and isolation. When you're going through a trial, I think one of the most common thoughts is, I'm the only one. I'm the only one going through this. There's nobody else. No one understands what I'm going through. And, you, and your first response is, break free. I've got to get out of this situation. I've got to get out of this confined, claustrophobic place. It's almost like being stuck in that torpedo tube. You know, the purpose of the torpedo tube is to propel a torpedo. And that's what it feels like. I've just got to get out. I've just got to get out. Press the button. Get me out of here. But know this, that when you're at your worst and all, weakness, all your weakest, God is still with you and working for you. When you're at your worst or your weakest, God is still working for you and he is with you. Hebrews 13, verse 5, from the Amplified, from a little bit further, 
where it says, for God himself has said, about halfway down there, for God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. I will not relax my hold on you. Most assuredly not. I think God's getting a point across. He will never let you go. But one of Gideon's biggest problems was he thought God had forsaken him. But God hadn't forsaken the children of Israel. They had forsaken him. They had served other gods. They had gone into idolatry and Baal worship. God will never leave us. Do you know what? Even in the midst of the storm, friends and family might leave you. They might think you're too toxic. You've got too much chaos going on in your life. And friends and family could leave you, but God will never leave us. He will never forsaken us. Forsake us. He will never loosen his grip on us. The devil comes to us at our weakest points. Just like the Midianites who saw the weakness of Israel and they saw Israel on her knees and that's when they took full advantage of Israel. And the devil comes to us at our weakest point. But so does God. The Bible says, we read it last week, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up that standard. He raises up that banner. And it's so often when we're at our weakest point that God breaks through for us. When we have that Baal Perizim moment, when we have that breaking through, that breaking through, that crack in that, in that damn wall, then suddenly the water bursts forth. It's when we're in that weakest moment, that's when God breaks through for us. When we're at our worst or our weakest, God is still with us and working for us. So point number one, God is with you. God is with you and he will never leave you. If there's one thing take away today, God is with you and he will never leave you. The second thing that God said to him, he calls Gideon the mighty man of valor in Judges 6.12. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And up to this point, all Gideon had done was thresh wheat. The only instrument or weapon he had held in his hand was a rake. If that's what you use to thresh wheat, I'm not quite sure. Amy, is it a rake or is it a, a thresher? Or I don't know what you use to thresh wheat. But that's all he had had in his hand. Yet God calls him a mighty man of valor a valiant and courageous warrior. God sees Gideon not as he is in that particular moment, threshing wheat in the wine press. He sees the potential in Gideon and he calls that potential forth. He calls that potential forth. God is a faith God. He speaks those things that be not as though they are. And that's what we need to do. We need to be imitators of God. He calls Gideon this mighty man of valor. You, ma you mighty man of fearless courage. God looks at the outward appearance. 
Man, a man looks at the outward appearance, sorry. God looks at the heart, and he sees potential in you and I, and he calls it forth. I mean, who would have thought, hey, Jemay, start your own business. Who would have thought? But God called her forth. He said, I see potential in you. You've got this gifting in you. Start your business. And so she did. She didn't wait for everything, for all her ducks to be in a row. Did you? No? She didn't. But she started her own business. And God's blessing is upon it. And I think back to 31 years ago when Jesus saved me. You know what? I was divorced. I was depressed. I was skeptical, hard, broke, broke, busted, and disgusted. Oh, there's no other description. I was a mess, struggling to get by. But when I was at my worst, my weakest, God came through. And on the 15th of September, 1991, he saved me. He set me free. He revealed his plan for me. He showed me how he had chosen me, how he loved me, how he was redeeming me that he showed me the purposes that he had for me and set me on a journey. In 31 years, I'm still living out this journey by his grace. And God is no respecter of persons. I didn't have to clean up my act. At that time, I was on medication for depression. I was smoking 40 cigarettes a day. I smelt like an ashtray. I mean, it was disgusting. It was awful. But I came as I was. He didn't say to me, will you go clean up your act first? You tick all the boxes, here's a checklist. You say, our father, three times a day, and then I'll see. No, 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 you come to him as you are. He accepts you, he loves you, he will adopt you into his family. You know, before my salvation, when I was 12 years old, I had to take part in one of these awful things, a variety concert at school. And myself and two other girls had to sing this song, living in South Africa, sing a song about Galway Bay, Ireland. N didn't know where it was, but anyway, I had to sing the song called Galway Bay. I was so shy, I was so intimidated that I was throwing up. I was trying to do anything to get out of standing in front of a hall full of people. I was petrified, I was shy, intimidated. I did it, but I did throw up, not on the stage, but I did throw up earlier. And then when I went to Bible college, you know, just after I got saved, um, I, I swore when I was 12, I said, I'll never do something like that again. When I got saved and I went to Bible college, after I got saved, I said two things. Okay, God, two things. I will never pray in public, just so you know. I'm never going to pray in public and I'm never going to speak in public. Okay, just so we're aware, we know where we stand. Well, I tell you what, first thing that happened when I got to Bible college, why they picked on me, I have no idea. They had so many other choices to make, but they chose me. You're the prayer group leader for the year. Oh no, it's not fair. That's just not fair, it's not right. It's just not right. But I had to lead second year students in prayer meetings three times a week. It was horrible. I hated it. It was so, I was so out of my comfort zone. And then in second year, had to do a preach in front of the faculty and all the students. Only for 12 minutes, I was 
petrified. My knees were fellowshipping together. I was shaking so much. I, I, I felt sick. In fact, I wanted to leave Bible college because I didn't want to do it. I really didn't want to do it. But you know what? God sees potential in you. He, he's not concerned. You, know, you might be in fear. It doesn't matter. Just do it afraid. God will help you. He will take over. We just need to receive him in our heart. Uh, receive the seed of God into our hearts. Your God came to Gideon at his lowest point and accepted him where he was and for who he was. Gideon had been in that same position for seven years. He was at an all-time low. He was full of doubt, full of blame, full of unbelief, yet God still engaged with him. He didn't have to clean up his act. God engaged with him. And when he came to him in Judges chapter 6, listen to this, um, this little conversation between God and Gideon in chapter 6 verse 14. God said, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And so Gideon says to God, Oh my Lord, so he knew it was God. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. You've got the wrong guy, God. You're wrong, it's not me. How am I going to, who's Gideon? He's in a wine press, threshing wheat. He says, I'm the runt of the litter, basically. No, you've chosen the wrong guy. And the Lord says to him in verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Surely. When God says, surely, you shall do this, he has the last say. Surely you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So God knew who Gideon was, but Gideon didn't know who Gideon was. And that wasn't even the biggest problem. Gideon didn't know who God was. And then he had, he had, a, he had a revelation that he was actually speaking to the Lord. And so what happens is he builds this altar there, and this is where he names, he says, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. That's where this, that, that name of God comes about, from Gideon's encounter with God. He recognizes that God is the Lord of peace. And once Gideon made peace with God, he recognized that actually he wasn't the runt of the litter. But even if his tribe was the weakest in Manasseh, with God on his side, he was in the majority. You know what? When, you, when God says to you, asks you to do something, when he asks you to do something, he will empower you to do it. And with God on your side, you are in the majority. God calls those things that be not as though they are. God calls those things that be not as though they are. And we need to do the same. We need to do the same. We need to walk by faith. In Christ, we are fully accepted. Know who we are in Christ. Know who you are, what your identity is in Christ. That's what happened to Gideon. He realized who God was and who he was 
in relationship with God. And in the same way for us, in God we are accepted in the beloved. We are more than conquerors in Christ. He always gives us the victory. He always leads us in triumph. You know what, maybe you've heard our desperate cries for help in recent days. WhatsApp, emails, announcements. We need help. <laughs> we need help in Kids Church. We need help in AV. We need help in sound. And maybe you feel, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm going to make a mess. Do you know what? What's the worst thing that can happen? We know we've had the worst thing that could happen. We've had adverts in the middle of YouTube. It doesn't matter. We're still alive. We, we got through it. We got, we passed. We got through it. It doesn't matter. What's the worst that can happen? God will not leave you. He will not leave you. If you felt a nudge from God in any one of these areas, you won't make a fool of yourself. You will not make a fool of yourself. God will en enable you. He will empower you to advance his kingdom here in Waterlooville. The first thing that, that Gideon did, once he knew who he was, he went down at night. He was still full of fear. He went at night and he tore down these altars of Baal. And the following day they found out who did this. It was, it was Gideon who did this. And they threatened to stone him. So he was, it was right that he was fearful. But he still did it. He did it afraid. But suddenly, Gideon became, had a name for himself. He was no longer the runt of the litter. Suddenly, he had 32,000 men following him from nothing to 32,000 men. And God said to him, I want you to take those 32,000 men, take away 31,700 of them, so you're left with 1%, 300 men, 300 men. Because Gideon thought, okay, now I've got 32,000 men, I can go face the Midianites. And God said, no, let no flesh glory in my presence. No man's going to get the credit for this. God's going to get the credit. And so what did he do? He took his 300 men and they surrounded the, the Midianites armed with a torch, with a torch and a trumpet. And that's what they did, was they broke the torches open, they blasted off the trumpet and they said, the sword of Gideon and the guys of Midian all started fighting amongst themselves and ran off and they defeated the Midianites whose numbers were more numerous than, than a swarm of locusts. God gave him his Baal Perazim, his own Baal Perazim at that moment. And I just want to end with that, that maybe during this time you're in a wine press, you're in a situation and you're trying to find your way out. You want to get out of where you are. And God is saying to you, take your trumpet and take your torch and I will fight for you. I will fight for you. Use your torch. Your torch is the light of God. It's the light. The entrance of your word brings light. Declare God's word over your situation. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. The entrance of God's word brings light. That is the use of your torch. And the trumpet is you declare. You declare God's victory in your situation where you might be right now. Amen and amen.